My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Adio Depot here. Thank you so much for downloading Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're here every single Tuesday live on TalkSport to myself and the great Gareth A. Davis. If you can't join us live, remember to subscribe to the Fight Night podcast channel. So much other great content there as well, such as Fight Night, Fight of My Life, and even the Mike Tyson story, The Boy from Brownsville. This is Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. If you love your boxing and your MMA, this is the show for you. Fight Night Extra with me, Gareth Davis, and one half of the Fight Disciples, Nick Pete, where we discuss all the latest from the world of combat sports. Well, today we're going back to the future. We'll reflect on a comeback to the ring for Ricky the Hitman Hatton, who returned to the ring for the first time in 10 years to fight Marco Antonio Barrera in an exhibition in his hometown of Manchester last Saturday night. We'll hear from Hatton, who's told us that Saturday night was one of the highlights of his career. Elsewhere on the other side of the world, one of Hatton's former dance partners, Floyd Mayweather, was taking part in an exhibition of his own. Who would have thought this? The 50-0 legend was headlining quite a bizarre card in Dubai with his fight against YouTube star Deji. We'll look back on that fight and an incident-filled night in the Middle East overall. Three Brits in world title fights this weekend. We'll discuss a win for Natasha Jonas, who picked up her third world title this year. Another win for Sonny Edwards, who's moved to 18-0, and maybe, maybe is just on his way towards the pound-for-pound list. And a defeat for Denzel Bentley, who came up short against Yanivek Alan Canuli. Plus, we'll be recapping a thrilling night at UFC 281 as Israel Adesanya, yeah, the great Izzy, suffered his first defeat at middleweight. Don't go anywhere. This is Fight Night Extra on Sport 2. We're the roar of the crowd, you know, with everything that's seen my mum and dad at ringside, you know, just all things like that. It was very hard for me to hold it together. It was very emotional for me, but I think we put on a great exhibition. Declaring your winner by unanimous decision. And now the WBC, the WBO, the IBF and Ring Magazine Super Welterweight Champion of the World, No! Well, first of all, let me welcome in Nick Pete. A massive, massive weekend of action, Nick. Um, I don't really know where to start. I mean, let's talk about the two exhibitions, first of all. Um, you know, 
Hatton and Mayweather back in action. Quite kind of, who would have thought it 10 years ago that they'd both be fighting on the same night or over the same weekend in two continents and that, you know, that everyone's still enjoying them being in the ring. Yeah, I think we've got to emphasise the word fight here. I don't think either of them were in an actual fight not compared to their, their halcyon days, of course, but um, obviously, I, you know, I'm not really into this, the entertainment side of things, so I, I didn't purchase the uh, event that went out, out in the Middle East. Obviously, I'm across it, but I didn't actually purchase it. But I've got to be honest, Gareth, you know, when they announced Hatton versus Barrera, I thought, great, you know what, good for Ricky. Good for his mental health, good for his physical health, gives him a goal, gives him something to get in shape for. The fight initially fell through in the summer and I was disappointed for him. But when it finally came around on Saturday night, of course it was after the fighter of the year added another belt to her repertoire, Natasha Jonas. We'll come back to her later in the show, I'm sure. But I was already on cloud nine for Natasha and then next thing you know, Marco Antonio Barrera's walking to the ring, blue moon is ringing out inside Manchester Arena, somewhere that myself and yourself have been many, many times over the last couple of decades to see Ricky in his pump. And then Ricky Hatton makes one of the most epic ring walks of all time. I've got to be honest, I was all in at that point. And listen, it wasn't a fight. It was two friends having a nice move around to entertain the fans. And you know what? I loved every single minute of it. They both caught each other. I, it was exactly as Ricky had described it yeah. to me five months ago. I remember being in his gym when I, when we were all shocked that he'd got back down to, what was it, 160 pounds or whatever he was, 170 pounds, um, and looks fantastic. No, it's less. It was 160 pounds, wasn't it? 159 pounds. Yeah. And, Gosh, and, yeah. and he said, uh-huh. I don't want to embarrass him, and I don't want him to embarrass me. And neither man was embarrassed. Um, the Zimmer frame... Walkout was funny. He's always he's always been self-deprecating, and I think that's why we love him so much. Um, and and as yep. you say, you know the, the the arena was half full, and I was glad it wasn't jam packed full. It was just right, half full, and that's what he is right now. He's half full, not half empty. That's how mm-hmm. I felt it in my mind. And also, I was yep. in the studio at Talk Sport, and it was just thrilling. And it, I, I was thinking, oh God, I wish I was there right now because. You could see the joy that he brought to lots of people. And as he said, it's about inspiring other people at this point. It's about his son doing well, his nephew Jack doing well. Um, and, and, you know, some of the fighters that he's kind of working on now and kind of saying to them, don't do what I did. Please do what I say now. You know, and, 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 and Marco as well, of course, who'd fought in, I think, 2009 in that arena against Amir Khan. A lot of people have forgotten, mm-hmm. um, who is very similar to Ricky Hatton. If he walks down the streets in Mexico, Mexico City, anywhere, he's instantly recognisable. Um, and again, is a lovely man. We bump into him all the time because he does commentary, doesn't he, on, on Deportes and different channels yeah. from Mexico. Brilliant guy, calm as you like. And I thought they produced a great job. But it was a tale of two exhibitions because, as you say, over... I. I part hosted the press conference in London with Deji and Floyd Mayweather at York Hall Bethnal Green Friday before last and different kind of exhibition and and Floyd you could I mean I've seen the clips he showed his impatience with Deji because there wasn't a lot there and I think it's kind of drawing to a close that kind of stuff even though it's going to be there all the time I think Mayweather against the YouTubers, I think is probably drawing to a close after that. Yeah, I, I think so as well. The clips that I saw, you know, it's all good and well, Floyd going in and doing exhibition against professional fighters, whether they be mixed martial artists or kickboxers or even, you know, fallen or be crested former boxers. I think there's there's energy there because there's a certain level of, you know, knowing their way around the ring, whereas... You know, Deji, God love him, um, look, was exactly what you expect him to be, a complete and utter novice. And complete and utter novices, weirdly, are, are more difficult to have a move around with than former champions because complete and utter novices do stupid things at stupid times and they're completely unpredictable. Hence the reason why Floyd come away with a little bit of a, a mark under his chin. Deji obviously did something absolutely crazy that he that, that he literally didn't see coming. So I think those days are done as well. I, I, I could actually see 
Mayweather and Hatton having a move around in Manchester next year. I could definitely see that coming out now. I don't think Ricky's uh, about to walk away anytime soon just because the the motivation it's given, the fitness that he's obviously found from it and the um, obviously they made some good money for, for for men's mental health at the weekend as well. So I'm all for that. I all support that. But, uh, but yeah, the crossovers with the YouTubers always had a, a real shelf life. That's not to say YouTubers versus fellow celebrities or other YouTubers. I don't think that's stopping yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. But I think Floyd's probably had his fill of that world. Now we'll probably come back over to more, uh, as I say, professional, if you like, exhibition type stuff. Yeah, well, Mayweather did say to me uh, in, at that press conference that um, he's never fought in the UK and he'd love to do an exhibition in the UK and they're talking about that. I hope it's with Ricky Hatton. Um, but um, let's hear from Ricky Hatton because he spoke to Spencer Oliver post-fight about what this meant to him to walk to the ring once again to Blue Moon at the Manchester Arena. I think my last time I was here was against Senchenko in my comeback fight and I'd have got through all my demons but there was one thing I hadn't sorted out in my life and that was made, making up with my mum and dad. And I think mid-rounds, when the rounds, when a couple of rounds started going against me and drifting into the other corner, I kept looking down at ringside and I didn't see my mum and dad there. And it affected me in the fight against Senchenko. You know, I sort of like went all ragged and wild and he ended up getting me. But I mean, the point I'm making is uh, they were there at ringside tonight. So that was, that was an absolute dream come true. And not only that, but I think that I think that backfired as well because I was getting emotional when he had a job to do. And but anyway, uh, no, I uh, I remember that to the day I died that, that tonight. Yeah. Well, Ricky Hatton there, Nick. Um, emotional. You could see the emotion before the fight, actually. Um, emotional, satisfied, motivated now to stay well and inspire people. We can't really ask much more of that. And also. To see and him hear him talk about the unity of his parents being there on the night, which they weren't for Vyacheslav Senchenko when he came back a decade ago. And he looked around when he needed a moment in the fight, as he mentioned. And mum and dad weren't there, but mum and dad and Ray were there. His brother, his brother's son, his son, or everyone he needed there. The, 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 the mental scaffolding, if you like. And I think... Yeah, I just think it took him back, and it and it just kind of made him realise that that life has turned a great corner for him. Yeah, I think it's I think it was closure. You know, it was closure on a sensational career. It was a moment he never got, and he probably deserved being a nation the nation's hero that he was. You know, we we were both lucky enough to follow him all over the UK and abroad. You know, many times over to Las Vegas and to the East Coast as well with the travelling Manchester fans. You know, there was nothing quite like a, a Ricky Hatton away day. It was very, very special. And a decade ago, he tried to come back. He tried to have a bit of closure. Sinchenko was absolutely the wrong opponent at the wrong time, both both inside the ring and outside the ring for Ricky. And it's just... It's just incredible that he was able... Because most, most boxers don't get this opportunity. They don't get the opportunity to come back and to close the chapter on their career on a positive note. But Ricky got that. He got the adulation of the fans. He got that warmth, his family there, everything else, against a legend like Marco as well. It doesn't matter that it wasn't competitive. That wasn't the point of the exercise. It meant that Ricky can start this next chapter of his life, close the chapter entitled... Ricky hit Manhattan, move on with his life right now, knowing that he's still got the support of the entire country. And, it, you know, it was perfect. It was a dream ending for him as far as I'm concerned. Even if he goes on to do another exhibition with Floyd or whoever it may be, Saturday night will live with him forever. Yeah, and it was absolutely. lovely that he explained that to Spencer. And I think he's genuine when he says this was one of my greatest nights. I agree. I completely agree. Because there's, there's a, at 44 years of age... He, he does have a maturity now that he didn't have a decade ago or when he had in 2005, gosh, that feels like a long time ago, um, Kostyazou, yeah, number three pound for pound in the world at the time. Floyd Mayweather, number one pound for pound in the world. Manny Pacquiao, number two pound for pound in the world. He's fought, and, and without speaking about all the other guys he fought, it's kind of an extraordinary story for, for the little lad from Manchester, really. We, we see what happens yeah. over the next couple of months now and whether he and Floyd Mayweather, final one, short one on that, if they do meet in an exhibition, is that a Manchester Arena fight again with 20, just with 20,000? Is it 
Is it bigger than that? Or do we need it to make it bigger than that? And does that, again, does that cap off maybe um, as as the post limbs, the post main event of another big fight? And they just do Ricky and Floyd on the top of, I don't know, um, I don't know, Dillian White versus Anthony Joshua, maybe, or something so. like that. Do you know what I mean? No, no, no. I, I think the, the card at the weekend was perfect. You know, a, a, a Sky Sports card, Ricky as the exhibition, somebody else build as the main event. I know Ricky and Floyd probably attracts more interest than that, and Floyd's team may want pay-per-view numbers because that's what makes the world go round in the life of Floyd Mayweather. But I, I just thought that was the perfect ending on Saturday. Anything bigger than that becomes something more than what it should be, an exhibition. Uh, final thing on the Global Titans event with Mayweather and Deji in the Middle East. Tommy Fury. Obviously, scenes there afterwards. Tommy Fury um, causing a lot of the headlines himself. Um, missing weight, ending up fighting an exhibition himself as a result. John Fury shirt off against Jake Paul. Jake Paul not getting in the ring. I think he was a little bit concerned about getting in the ring, as were the security. Um, John's got his own beef with with Jake Paul as well. Um, is there a change in expectation with Tommy's career at the moment, do you think? Yeah, I, I no longer see Tommy Fury as a, as a genuine boxer. You know, I think he's crossed over into this celebrity YouTuber sport boxing entertainment realm now. And I'm not knocking him for that. That's probably where his better opportunities are. Showdowns with Jake Paul and Logan Paul and KSI and whoever else. That's the world he should really be swimming in because let's face it, Tommy Fury wouldn't win a British light heavyweight title. So stick with the celebrity side of things. I, I don't really view what happened in Dubai as professional boxing, to be honest with you. It's a, it's an entertainment level white collar um, and good luck to them. I, I, again, I'm not knocking it. I see it more of WWE wrestling. John Fury's not trying to make a real fight. He's trying to be the Paul Bearer to The Undertaker. And Tommy Fury's not the greatest talker. So he needs his dad alongside him to call out fights for him and to generate headlines. It's a headline grabbing business over there, you know, failing to make weight. Guys posting videos here, then everywhere. It's a clickbait world. That's where they operate. That's what it's all about. Social media clicks. It's not really professional sport. It's very much blurred in the lines. And as long as you accept it for that, as long as you categorize it the same as I do WWE wrestling, you know, it's kind of scripted, kind of entertainment, not really sport, then I don't begrudge any of them making a few quid. If people want to pay to see it, good luck to them. Yeah, absolutely. We all love a bit of clickbait at times, even you, Mr. Pete. Anyway, you're listening to yes. Fight Night. <laughs> you're listening to Fight Night Extra on Talksport 2. Still to come, we'll chat a bit of heavyweight news. Could Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk be delayed after the IBF order Usyk to fight Flip Hergovic as his mandatory? We'll ch- we'll discuss about we'll discuss that in a minute. And we'll recap a thrilling night in the octagon at UFC 281 in the magic air of Madison Square Garden, Manhattan, New York. But up next, we'll discuss three Brits all in world title action over the last weekend. Against top class opponents like Alvarado. I want the big fights. Martinez, he's running scared. Bam Rodriguez, you promised me the fight next. Come and get it. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. I'm Gareth Davis with Nick Pete alongside me. So, Nick, first of all, Denzel Bentley comes up short against Yannibek Alim Kanuli. Pearl at the Palms, an amazing little venue, kind of like the York Hall on a steroid with glitter. Kind of, that is the way I see it. It's a brilliant little <laughs> club venue with all seating around. Um, a little bit more glamorous than the York Hall, but one has to be honest. Um, but um, Denzel Bentley, too sharp, uh, as he's known, I thought put in a fine performance. I watched it live. I scored it about eight rounds to four to Alim Kanuli. I thought 116, yeah. 112 was fair. Um, he was waiting for later in the fight. Alim Kanuli kind of hurt him a couple of times late on. 
I don't think he ever really hurt Alan Canuli. Stopped him in his tracks a few times. His punches didn't marry up close enough. We know that Two Sharps got power. But it, but it was a loss, but it was a learn, and I think his stock rose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he took a fight that many other leading contenders turned down, a couple of which from this country as well, didn't want the opportunity against Janabek, even though it was a vacant world title fight, or, you know, Janabek was given the title, but it was his first two world title fights. Um, and, and credit to Denzel Bentley, not only for stepping up and taking the opportunity, but stepping up and rolling the dice and going for it. You know, I think Denzel Tulia, I believe, travelled home from Las Vegas um, yesterday and was probably thinking to himself, you know what? I give him a little bit too much respect early on. I early wish he'd on. gone for it Absolutely. a bit more. I had a bit more confidence in myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first three or four rounds, he probably gave uh, Jana Beck a little bit too much respect. Then he came into the fight absolutely in the middle rounds. And then obviously credit where it's due. I think Jana Beck put his foot down in the closing rounds. Listen, just we'll come back to Jana Beck in a second. Purely about Denzel. Sensational performance. Comes away with his head held high. Knows now what world class looks like, feels like, um, moves like, can go away, absolutely learn from that, build on it. You know, he's got it. He should be ranked with all the governing bodies now, after certainly after the performance like that. And I think he can absolutely come again in 2023. He's beyond domestic level now. And it's about really putting a couple of wins together and maybe getting another opportunity at the back end of next year. Brilliant. Janabek, I think he went into the fight. I don't think he undervalued Denzel Bentley, but I've got to be honest here. I've seen Janabek box before and look sensational. And you've got to think about the camp he comes from. Same camp as Alexander Usyk, same camp as Lomachenko, all those guys. And I think just a bit like Alexander Usyk when he first stepped up to heavyweight and he put in a couple of, I would say, flat performances when he first went to heavyweight and suddenly he looked like, oh, is he big enough for this weight division? Anthony Joshua rolls the dice, takes the, the fight with him and suddenly Usyk goes through the gears. I think Janabek here did enough to win, but I honestly, no disrespect to Denzel, I don't think he got out of third gear, Gareth. I really mm. don't. Well, he wasn't pressed in that way. I think the, the 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 commentary was interesting at times where they were saying that Buddy McGirt, he's always got urgency in the corner. And I think um, I think a little bit too much was being made of the fact that Buddy wanted him to do things. He was just being instructional. Um, but he was never really... Denzel needed a stoppage to win the fight in the last three rounds. There was no question about it. Yeah. Um, and Janibek is so skilled, former world amateur champion, of course. And when anyone's won a world amateur championship and they're from Eastern Europe, they're from Ukraine or they're from Kazakhstan, we know what they are. We've seen it through Dmitry Bivol. We've seen it. Yeah. This could be another, this guy could be another Dmitry Bivol. Bivol has just emerged this year, capable of handling Canelo, brilliant in his last performance in the Middle East. A lot of people giving him a great chance now against uh, Artur Paterbiev because of his boxing skills. And, and yeah. that's what's great about these guys. They're very tough, very, very tough, really well-schooled, and they know their way around a ring in terms of their IQ and their ring generalship, and they're undefeated for a reason. Um, as in I, Usyk and how far Gennady Golovkin went. You know, he was like the originator of that group and Kovalev when they were at their most powerful um, I, I I agree with you. I don't think he was fully stretched. I think both men benefited from Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he took his opportunity. I love Denzel Bentley. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a trooper. And I think he'll come out well from this. Um, Sonny Edwards on Friday night moved to 18-0 with his win over Felix Alvarado. Tough opponent coming in. Uh, difficult opponent. Um, and to be honest... I thought handled him really well. He's so fast and elusive, amazing engine. I think we underappreciate him. I think that's the third or fourth ret retention of the title. Um, you could see him going on yeah. and on and on and never being beaten, <clears throat> frankly. Um, do you, you've had a little back and forth with him uh, on Twitter. Um, do, do you think this is a guy who could end up on the pound-for-pound pound list? Yeah, I think uh, it was. I've got, as you say, I went back and forward. I did a Fight Disciples podcast 
with Adam Catchell yesterday and we were talking about Sonny and I said, I believe Sonny Edwards is technically the best British world champion right now. We've got six or seven world champions in the men's divisions and I put Sonny Edwards at the top of the list in terms of his technique. I think he's absolutely fantastic. If you're a young amateur boxer or an amateur boxing trainer, you should be steering your kids in your gym, especially kids at a young age who are like sponges, to box like Sonny Edwards. Okay, a lot of it's reflexes. A lot of it, you could argue, is God-given. But he's mastered the art of hitting and not getting hit. And surely that's what the sport's all about, certainly about protecting your own chin. Sonny is a master at that. The point I was making on the podcast wasn't that I don't believe Sonny Edwards should be on the pound-for-pound list. What I was saying was, in this modern-day age, we talked about it in section one with the social media and the YouTube boxers. We live in a click age. We live in a viral moment age. And Sonny Edwards, you've got to be a boxing purist like us, Gareth, to truly appreciate what he does over 12 rounds against people like Felix Alvarado, former world champions who are quality operators, and he makes them look like novices because of his reflexes and skills, the way he maneuvers around the ring. However, he will always be undervalued by the majority of of boxing fans purely because he doesn't knock people out. He doesn't carry the kind of power that generates knockout lists, that generates one-click, 10-second moments. And for that reason, I think he will be criminally overlooked from the pound-for-pound list. I hope I'm wrong. And I said to Sonny, prove me wrong. Unify the belts. Take on Bam. Take on everybody. Bring all those flyweight belts together so you can't be denied. But I think he will be criminally overlooked because purely doesn't put people over. Yeah, well, I do think a win against Bam Rodriguez would really change things for him. Um, It'll all come down to the matchmaking. It'll all come down to where he is placed at the moment um, in terms of where he is promotionally. Um, he's a very, very, he's the kind of guy who could, who makes enemies of the fans and then wins them over with performances. And that is the perfect gunpowder plot, um, philosophy in my view. You, you, you walk in booed and you walk out cheered. And, and I think he's got all of that. He's a very unusual character with very strong views on things. Whenever I've had chats with him, I had him on radio or, done pieces with him he's always got views on on everything um you know they're a very interesting intelligent family. views as well he, yeah, he understands yeah, yeah. yeah he, he understands boxing he understands uh, boxing he understands what it takes to to yeah. become a star in boxing yeah, yeah. just on that point gareth that's the only other thing that's letting him that's the only other thing letting him down at the moment nothing about sonny edwards it's about that is promoter Probellum don't have a TV deal. So how many people actually seen his performance on Friday nights, even just from the UK? Not many. You know, it was streamed, it was free, it was available on Probellum.com. But that that's the that's the issue for me. Not enough people are seeing Sonny Edwards at the moment. This guy, as I say, out of all our world champions, Fury, Acoli, Taylor, Warrington, uh, Butler, all those guys and Sonny Edwards, Sonny Edwards is the most technically talented out of the lot and yet no one's seen him do his stuff yeah absolutely absolutely right now come on let's go to the nation of liverpool now for the last bit of this chat um this is your favorite bit of the (laughs) look at you favorite bit of the show now i'm a huge admirer of tasha jonas as well i've known her for 15 years she gets she's like a great wine or a lovely you know or, or an aging cheese if i can say that she and she's becoming a big cheese in in women's boxing an amazing i'm glad you said it yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but amazing over Marie, uh, Marie, Eve Marie de Care, Marie Eve de Care, the French Canadian, much bigger woman. I did worry for her going into this bout. I, d- I mean, I don't think she should be at light middle. I know she's achieved amazing things this year with three victories and three belts at light middle. But I, at 38 and 39 next June, Tasha's an incredibly tough person. She doesn't show how much hurt she's in, but she's so overmatched in those in that those 154 pound bouts. Those women are clearly 10 pounds heavier than her, and you can see it. And she gets knocked yeah. by them. I really think she's probably got two or three fights left, Max. Yeah, maybe she does want to uh, become undisputed in the division. I don't want Clarissa Shields to come down. Um, and fight her at light middle. I think she's too big. Um, for me, 
the the I want to see her fight Katie Taylor. Frankly, that that that's the fight I want. Even though there's options with Chantel Cameron yeah. and there's options with Terry Harper as well, and maybe even with Jessica McCaskill. You know, you've got her best concerns at heart. What do you think? Uh, I think right now, more than anything, she deserves to have six months off because she's been the standout. British boxer of 2022, no doubt about it. You know, as you say, stepped up three weight divisions, wins one world title, then goes in in September, wins a second world title, then fights at the weekend, wins a third world title in the same weight division, also the ring magazine belt. In a weight class, that really, she's got no business being in. As you say, she's overmatched when it comes to physicality, when it comes to strength and height and weight. But tell you what, she hasn't been overmatched when it comes to skills. So she's had to work twice as hard to become a champion here because she is 100% relying on her skill set rather than her southpaw punching power, which was a lot more uh, evident down in, in natural weight divisions at super feather and lightweight. But that's just testament to how good Tasha is. And okay, it's also testament to potentially some weaknesses in certain weight divisions in terms of talent, of course. But that's full credit to not only Tasha for putting the work in, for Joe Gallagher, a trainer and manager, who have manifested this. Who've gone, you know what? At, at the end of last year, Gareth, Tasha was probably thinking, what do I do now? You know, I fought Terry Harper. Uh, I got that, that was scored a draw on a night she probably won. She went back in with Katie Taylor. Katie won that fight. She was ending 2021 and probably thinking, where's my career going? You know, I'm 37 years of age. I'm a single mom. I mean, am I doing the right thing, investing all this time in training with nothing to show for it? And now look, one year on, three world title belts, the Ring Magazine champion at Super Welterweight, absolutely phenomenal. And as you say, spoiled for choice. There is Clarissa potentially coming down the weight division below. There's a massive fight with Terry Harper in this weight division. And let's remember, Terry Harper's not a super welterweight either. She's also moved up for the opportunity to win a world title. That's a great fight. She goes down to face Chantel Cameron, the unified champion, weight divisions below. She's in the mix for the Katie Taylor fight at Croke Park, legacy-defining moment. There is options absolutely everywhere for Natasha Jonas. What a year she's had. The belts, the opportunities, the legacy. Unlike you, Gareth, honestly, I wouldn't be against the Clarissa Shields fight. And let me tell you why. Of course, Clarissa's, for me, the number one on the planet. You know, with all due respect to our Irish listeners, I truly believe she's achieved more in her career than Katie Taylor. I've got her just above Katie Taylor. Imagine being Natasha Jonas, ending your career in a year or two's time. And I think that's all Tasha's probably got left another year or so. But being able to walk away saying I was undisputed champion, I was a Ring Magazine champion, I fought Katie Taylor, I fought Clarissa Shields, I fought XYZ, my goodness, what a legacy that would be. So I'm not against it. And also the reason I'm not against it is Clarissa isn't Savannah Marshall when it comes to punch and power. She isn't a huge threat. You're not going to get hurt in there necessarily from Clarissa. You may well be comprehensively outboxed. I'll give you that. But you know what, for the legacy that it would be and for the, the amount of money and interest that would generate on Sky Sports, I think that's the favourite for me. I think that's the front runner. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on Talk Sport 2. Still to come, we'll talk UFC 281 and the end of Israel Adesanya's reign as middleweight champion and what a reign it was. But up next, we'll get stuck into the heavyweight division. Will we be made to wait longer than expected for Tyson Fury against Alexander Usyk? For the undisputed. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code Listen to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. For the winner by split decision, and still the unified heavyweight champion of the world from Ukraine, Alexander You're listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. I'm Gareth Davis. Nick Pete is alongside me. Now, Nick, one of the complications, one of the spanners thrown into the work this week. The IBF, based on the East Coast in America, have said that Alexander Usyk must defend against Flip Hergovich. What on earth are they playing at? Has this derailed? Fury versus Usyk. <laughs> Listen, um, firstly, the IBF, uh, at least they are true to their, their, uh, the boxers that pay to be part of, to be licensed by them, to be registered with them, to be ranked in their rankings. At least they always do this. They push through their mandatories when they see fit. They're by the rule book. They're by the guidebook. And I, it's something I expect. That's fine. But also... As people who work in the industry and as boxing fans need to start doing and start pushing more is, who cares what the IBF wants? Who cares what the WBC, the WBA, who cares what any of the WBO, what any of those organizations want? Because they are motivated by money solely. We are here for the good of the sport. We know who the world number one is. His name's Tyson Fury. He's the WBC champion for what that's worth. More than importantly, he's the lineal champion. We know the number two is. His name is Alexander Usyk, and he beat Anthony Joshua to claim that position in the rankings. We don't need a belt. It doesn't need the IBF, the WBC, the WBO, WBF. None of that matters. Put all of those belts in the bin. Hashtag bin the belt. Let's get rid of the belt. I couldn't care less. We know number one and number two is. Nothing should get in the way yeah. of Fury versus Usyk. If IBF want to try and you know dictate what the terms and what happens in this fight, put the belt in the bin. Let them have it. Let let Hergovich go and fight whoever for it. Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua. It doesn't matter because as sports fans, we know what that is. It's a secondary, nondescript fight. Now it doesn't matter whether you're number three, number four, number five. Doesn't matter as long as number one fights number two. That is all that matters in this division. If they want to push for it, great. Put it in the bin, Mr. Usyk. Nobody cares. Let them keep the 3% because that all, that's all they're motivated by anyway. Give them it back. Right. Where's Tyson Fury? That's the only thing that should happen now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. And, and also to throw into the mix, I mean, obviously Eddie Hearn getting stuck into that when he heard about that announcement. And uh, fatuous for me, news stories uh, in the last couple of days saying that Anthony Joshua might get a world title shot next. He's just lost two on the bounce. That doesn't work as, as, a, as a narrative. And it doesn't work in terms of a meritocracy. I agree with you. 
we we need to press on with Fury versus Usyk in the Middle East next year. In all the fans' minds, that is the undisputed title right there. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's no belts on the yeah. line for that. Everybody knows it's number exactly. one versus number two. Yeah, uh, and I do hope it is pushed through. Um, and and uh, to be honest. It may be a bargaining tool at the moment for, for, for Usyk and Fury, but we know those talks are well underway. It's just time, place, venue, isn't it? You know, and that's all they've got to really do. Um, we know it's going to be kind of yeah. heavily watched. It's a big fight. We've known about it for a while. I was slightly concerned about some of Tyson Fury's comments, by the way, Nick, that he's a little bit under-motivated for the Chisora fight because that's not what we want to hear. Well, I had a quick look the other day at the Chisora fight and the ticket sales, and there's a whole ton of tickets left. I've got to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if we get an injury uh, to Tyson Fury, which derails that fight, because it's completely unnecessary. Nobody needs to see the third fight. There's absolutely no point whatsoever of it taking place. Bring Chisora in for some sparring. Do, do a Rocky and Apollo. Train behind closed doors. Knock seven bells out of one another if you want to. Pay him as a sparring partner. Give him a payday that way. This is just one. This is just an extra stumbling block that the IBF may be looking at as a reason as to why. Because the IBF rule states, yes, the mandatory has a certain amount of days before he gets his opportunity, but a unification type fight trumps everything. Take away the Chisora fight, announce the Usyk fight, a date and a working venue at least. And I think the IBF have to back off then. Of course, yeah. Eddie's going to fan the flames. Eddie Hearn is in the Eddie Hearn business. Eddie Hearn is in the Fergovic and the Anthony Joshua business. He couldn't care less about the fight between Usyk and Fury because he doesn't make any money out of it. Yeah. Ed, we know what Eddie is now. He's shown himself to the world a few weeks ago by the way he tried to force through Conor Ben. He's exactly the same as the rest of every boxing promoter that's ever walked the earth. They're here to make money and to make as much money as possible. If they want it, keep it. But for me... I would scrap Chisora, I would announce Fiori Usyk, and then that would kind of appease everybody and we get the fight that really matters for the heavyweight division next. Because you're right, you're right to put your finger on that because they won't announce that until days after December the 3rd. And um, it is a lot of forcing of, a, lot of, a bit of Chinese burns going on people's wrists at the moment. And like you say, it's a very sensible suggestion how far down the road they can be. If they haven't really sold the tickets, then who knows? That fight might be cancelled, but I've debated about Chisora. I don't know. I mean, would we have preferred Fury to have fought someone like Flip Hergovic? I don't know. Um, there were other opponents out there, but they tried to obviously get an event on, or they have got an event on. I just, I'm praying for hashtag no snow on December the 3rd, um, because it could be the first <laughs> boxing match we have in the snow. You never know. Or there probably have been other boxing matches in the snow, not that I've been to. But <laughs> elsewhere, Nick, reports that AJ... Now, this is a bit of an odd one. And on Saturday night, I compared it to a lion and a rhinoceros joining forces in the jungle or in the savannah. Reports that Anthony Joshua could link up with Roy Jones Jr. It doesn't sit easily for me that for some reason because of the respective styles. What's your take on it? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. I'd love to know the source of whoever put that out there. Potentially, it was you know Roy Jones maybe saying you know he could do something with AJ, but mm. that would that would absolutely come out of left field. The only positive I can think there, the matchup doesn't work stylistically. It doesn't work. The only positive I can think is I couldn't see Roy Jones coming to Sheffield, and I think that was what for me. And, and I, listen, I thought AJ against Usyk the second time around. Probably the best version of AJ I've ever seen. I know he lost, but hey, I, I think he looked great at times. I agree. For me, a, you know, I'd love to see Anthony leave the UK for a training camp, spend ten weeks somewhere, you know, in the in the back end of Los Angeles, in the dirty streets of you know Detroit, whatever it may be, and, and really hone his craft behind closed doors, take himself out of his comfort zone, become you know a big fish in somebody else's pond for a change, and let some young upstarts kind of. But you try and swing and take chunks out of you. Bringing Robert Garcia over to the UK to train at Sheffield, where he remains, you know, the the lord of the manor, just didn't work for me. And I I think for this, if if I was Team AJ, I would love to see that happen. And that's probably the only positive because 
Roy Jones would say, well, come to Pensacola, come to my farm, come and do what Eubank Jr. did and live with me and, and train in my uh, in one of my barns. But again, I couldn't see that happening for yeah. AJ. It doesn't work for me. But again, if he did leave the UK for a training camp, that would excite me because we all know there's plenty left in Anthony Joshua. It's just between the years. If you can get it right between the years, he can absolutely have a, have a second run at a world title. Even though, for me, he's probably ranked outside the top five right now. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, look, anything with Anthony Joshua is fascinating. Um, I just instinctively, it's a bit like when matchups are made. I just thought, well, oh, it's very odd. But you just never know. He might be brilliant for him. Um, let's yeah. see what transpires anyway. But I do agree with you. Get on the road. Let's have some sojourns to the States because he's he's made improvements. Let's see more improvements. Brilliant stuff, Nick. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on Talk Sport 2. Next up, we're switching gears to MMA and talking about an unforgettable night at UFC 281. grateful what a life what a moment i was fine first thing i said to you or the ref was i was fine because i was still lucid i was in there but um i put it on the line because i'm not trying to just fight once and then i'll chill so yeah i put it on the line and this is what happens again dare to be great and i am you're listening to fight night extra on talk sport 2 with me gareth davison alongside me nick pete of the fight disciples ufc 281. What a night. Madison Square Garden. I remember being at the very first one where, of course, Conor McGregor knocked out Eddie Alvarez on a spectacular night. Um, It was years and years of campaigning to get to UFC in New York. It was one of the very last states. I can remember writing about it, Nick, as we did then Fighters Only for years and years. Fighters Only magazine was a big campaigning effort to get in New York. It's one of the special fight venues and it provided a very special night. Another female from Liverpool we need to discuss, Molly McCann. Um, her momentum halted by who I think could be a very dangerous fighter, Erin Blatchfield. Um, she's going to probably go for the title fairly soon against Valentina Shevchenko, I imagine. She seems to have amazing skills. I was really hoping in the previews on it that Molly would find another performance of the night, another spinning back elbow, another way to move herself into the title contention. Because the funny thing about popular fighters who give their all, have their hearts on their sleeves, who take their moments, as we've seen with Darren Till and Paddy Pimlet um, and Molly, the, the, the loss is a setback in lots of ways because she had so much momentum going into this fight. Yeah, as you say, the event itself, Madison Square Garden has become, you know, a bit of a, a mecca for the UFC. Uh, one big show at the end of the year, every year, does nothing but deliver every single time. 14 fights on Saturday night, early hours of Sunday morning for us. 11 finishes, seven in the first round. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. And, you know, for any boxing fans who are listening, thinking, well, seven finishes in the first round, sounds like mismatches to me. You couldn't be further from the truth. You know, in the UFC, Mm. there's a $50,000 bonus on the line for anybody on the entire card if you generate a a performance of the night style uh, display. And that's why they're so competitive. And, and, you know, the main card was absolutely thrilling. But you're right to start with Molly. She's our girl. She was on an incredible run. You know, two spin and back fist knockouts, both of which were probably shortlisted for knockout of the year over the last 12 months. And she was ranked number 15 in the world, and they matched her with number 12 in the world, 23-year-old Erin Blanchfield. And it was always going to go one way or the other, very much a, a stylistic matchup. You've got a striker in Molly, a former Golden Gloves boxing champion from Liverpool, who's incredible with her hands, working with Joe McNally now, who's working with the Smith brothers and, and Josh Taylor, to name just two. And then on the other corner, you've got Aaron Blanchfield, who only 23 years of age, but has been training jiu-jitsu since the age of seven, winning tournaments since, the, since being a teenager. And unfortunately for Molly, it was Aaron's night. She was the one that timed the takedown perfectly. Molly really didn't get any good striking going before Erin managed to take her down, double leg. And when she was on the ground, it really was you know, a one-sided fight. Erin put her in a crucifix, 
pinned her down, started throwing some pretty heavy, heavy elbows and then landed a Kimura submission, which for anyone that doesn't know, it's basically an arm getting twisted up your back. And if you don't tap out, your arm gets broken, as yeah. brutal as that sounds. And Molly fought out of it the first time, but the second time, unfortunately, she was forced to tap. Molly will come again. She's still learning. She's still adding to her ground game. Obviously, she knows, just like Erin's, you know, training and trying to add to her striking game, Molly's shuffle is a ground game. She's working on it. She will make a big comeback next year. She'll be just as popular. That's the beauty of MMA. Losses don't define fighters' careers. But Erin, you're right, Gareth. I thought she was absolutely flawless in her performance, and she's a future title contender in this weight class for sure. Absolutely. Blanchfield clearly won to look out for in the future. Um, A quick word on the final fight of Frankie Edgar. I mean, again, I go back years and years and years of Frankie, the Grey Maynard trilogies, the the BJ Penn fights. I mean, I I can't believe he's still fighting. I can't believe that he was still there. Obviously, he got knocked out on Saturday night by Chris Gutierrez at bantamweight. what a career, though, very quickly. What what a career. What a guy. What a guy, Frankie Edgar. Yeah, listen, you know, there's not enough superlatives to describe him. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, former lightweight champion, fought everybody of his ilk. 41 years of age now, Gareth, and mm. literally minutes away from eight hours of competition inside the octagon, which is phenomenal for any athlete to have competed in the world's toughest arena for that long Unbelievable, as you say, straight into the Hall of Fame, but third consecutive knockout in the first round. Time waits for no man, just like it came calling for Chuck Liddell. It's come calling for Frankie Edgar, and hopefully now he just uh, rides off into the sunset. I think we've seen enough of him in competition to know his legacy is assured. Go and enjoy retirement now. Enjoy your family. Well, talking about legacies, great point. Talking about legacies, um, what a legacy Dustin Poirier is now creating. Um, third round submission rear naked choke victory over Michael Chandler in, an, in a phenomenal fight. He now has victories. I, I mean, it's extraordinary if you go back through his career. He now has victories over Max Holloway, Jim Miller, Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, sorry, Holloway twice. Conor McGregor twice and Michael Chandler. He might have lost to Khabib, Nurmagomedov and Charles Oliveira. But Poirier is one of those guys who, I don't know, it's just staggering. His skill set is extraordinary. I mean, how long does he need to keep going on? I know, especially with the two wins over Conor, you know, that's... that's... That's uh, family security and grandkids security forevermore kind of money that you're earning against Conor McGregor. And for him to show the dog that he did, because he was behind on a scorecard in the first round, incredibly close, brilliant fight. Once again, applauded as well to Michael Chandler. That's back-to-back now. Last year, Justin Gaethje in New York. This year, Dustin Poirier in New York. Okay, lost both of them, but tell you what, he plays his part in these fight of the year contenders every single time. But for me, Poirier proved to the world that there's, even though he's sleeping on silk sheets, there's plenty of dog, plenty of fight left in him. He clearly still wants to become champion of the world. One thing that's on his career, that the only thing that's eluded him is becoming UFC champion. And he remains a contender. And of course, you know, with, with Volkanovski fighting Islam Makachev, the new champion in Mar- in February in Perth, I think Dustin Poirier is the man who's standing in the sidelines waiting to see wins. Yeah, um, obviously a lot to get through still, and we're running out of time. But Zhang Wei Li uh, winning the women's uh, strawweight title against Carlos Barza, second round submission Super. by rear naked choke. She's kind of next gen, isn't she now in women's fighting? Yeah, she's she's the she's the new generation. You know, look at her as the as the model to see what women's fighting in the UFC will look like in the future. She looked absolutely phenomenal. Destroyed Carla everywhere on the feet, on the ground. She's going to be champion for an awful long time, Gareth. Um, we've got the end of the Israel. I don't know if it's the end of the Israel Adesanya um, run at middleweight. Uh, one of the great champions, you know. Um, you know, whatever it was, sixth or seventh defense, um, loses in the fifth round, well ahead on the cards, in my view. I'm pretty sure he was. I didn't check whether he was, but it must have been three rounds to one up. Yeah. Um, and But yeah. he's got 
the kryptonite in Alex Pereira, who is a very dangerous fighter. Just his fifth fight uh, in MMA reminded me a little bit this fight of Islam uh, Makachev the other day um, against Charles Oliveira. You've got these guys with extraordinary skills, very, very tough. If you don't put them away within 25 minutes, inside 25 minutes, they have got an opportunity to put you away because they have such dangerous skills. I thought Pereira was phenomenal. I thought he was going to lose it. I thought Israel was a bit gun-shy with him at times in that fight. But maybe the history of the two fights, the loss and the knockout in the second fight as kickboxers, was still there. There was a bit of PTSD there, a bit of scarring there in that fight. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Gareth. You know, I think Israel Adesanya has been carrying that round for a long time. You could see it inside yeah. the octagon. He wasn't the same Israel Adesanya. wasn't moving the same. wasn't anywhere near as destructive. Yes, he was winning the fight and winning it, winning it convincingly. But every time Fahea had a moment, snapped at his back with a shot, you could see Adesanya visibly shaken up by it. And when the, when the Fahea turned the fight on its head, deep into the fifth round with that finish. As soon as he landed clean, Adesanya just panicked and, and unraveled up against the fence. He doesn't do that usually. Usually no. dogs his way out and fights his way out of it and keeps going. But he was at, at, at times defenseless there, not defending himself. But hey, it was unloading. Give him the referee, Mark Goddard, no option but to stop the fight. Really concerning for Adesanya because... As you say, kryptonite, it just seems like nobody else in this weight division can touch Adesanya because his takedown defense is brilliant and his striking is next level. But this guy's striking is just as good and he's got power and it doesn't matter against Adesanya that he didn't that he didn't have to worry about his ground game because there's no way Israel Adesanya was going to try and choke him out, tap him out, submit him, grapple him. Apart from that moment in the third round where, where you know a white belt jiu-jitsu match kind of broke out. But the the good thing for the rest of the division, your Robert Whittakers, your Kamzat, your Maevs, all these guys, your Cannoneers, they're all licking the lips now because they get in with Pahaya, the new champion, and they're not going to kickbox with him. They're going to no. take him down and beat him up no. on the ground. And I think Absolutely. majority of them probably does as well. So it's exciting <laughs> for the weight division, but it's going to be a tough comeback for Adesanya as long as this guy's got the belt. Absolutely. A great event at the weekend, uh, UFC 281. But we end uh, this week's show on a very sad note. Um, Anthony Rumble Johnson has left us the brilliant uh, MMA fighter, um, extraordinary character um, at the age of 38. Um, he announced when he was fighting with Bellator last year that he was suffering from an illness and, and he has gone. Um, in fighting terms, extraordinary that this massive guy who was a, a great wrestler as well I don't know how he ever did this. He used to fight at welterweight. And of course, he fought from welterweight to heavyweight. And he fought the very best as well. I went all the way up to uh, fight the likes of um, Daniel Cormier at light heavyweight. But he also did fight uh, at heavyweight at at some points as well. Um, Very, very sad that Anthony Rumble Johnson has gone. And it's just a reminder of... You know, it's an inherently dangerous sport, but life can just be cut short for other reasons sometimes, Nick. Yeah, just to be clear, his his illness had nothing to do with his fighting career. You know, it was something else entirely. And um, 23 wins, 17 knockouts, you know, a mass, a monster of a man, bolder shoulders, you know, really physically intimidating and had the power to back it up. But as I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, Gareth, when you were around Rumble, when you were speaking to him, when you were at events, when he was on the card, one of the most quietly spoken, humble, gentle, yep. sincere individuals, cool as anything as yep. well. You know, there's not enough ways to describe how nice this guy was. And that's why the whole of the sport's in mourning at the moment, because absolutely nobody in this industry has a bad word to say about Rumble Johnson. And obviously thoughts go out to his his close friends, his family, everybody in mixed martial arts that was lucky enough to work alongside him. And uh, yeah, a real tragic loss and and a great guy. Thanks very much for today, Nick. Lovely words to finish on. Rest in peace, Anthony Rumble. Johnson. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for downloading our Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're back every single Tuesday for more great content. And if you miss us, make sure you subscribe to Fight Night to catch up on all our other episodes. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 